Mom, where's Timmy? He's gone to be with the Lord. He's dead? No, silly. He and his family have moved to Bubble Creek Canyon. Do you dream of a day when you can drive to work without being forced to look at unchristian billboards and bumper stickers? When you can turn on the radio without hearing the electric guitar or some other horrible instrument of the devil? When you don't have to interact with bozos who have the audacity to disagree with you? Well, at Bubble Creek Canyon, your dreams can come true. Hello, or as we like to say at Bubble Creek Canyon, heaven out. Bubble Creek Canyon is an isolated community nestled in 3,500 acres of magnificent and desirable real estate. Best of all, it's 100% heathen free. That's right, and you'll think it's the next best thing to heaven. At Bubble Creek Canyon, we use an elaborate screening process to ensure that our residents completely agree with our doctrine. No ifs, ands, or Buddhists. We're a heavily gated community with fantastic facilities, breathtaking sight lines, and Christianized amenities. We have a Christian shoe store, a Christian t-shirt store, a Christian underwear store, a Christian bank, Christian grocery, Christian car dealership, Christian pet store, Christian liquor store, and a Christian tattoo parlor. Temporary, of course. We have a nationally recognized school district and only one textbook. We also think you're going to like our library. How'd this filth get in here? At the BCC Cinema, you can watch all the latest movies without worrying about the questionable content because we removed it all. Every home comes with a spacious backyard with plenty of room for an optional baptism pool. Hey, pin the ear on the High Priest Soldier, one of my personal favorites. And each home comes equipped with built-in Christian signage. Just try to pull this off the wall. With our combination cable and internet package, you'll have access to ES Pray In, My Heavenly Space, God Tunes, Godopedia, God Gold, God Bay, Godcast, and The Sopranos. Every morning, a copy of our community paper will be delivered to your doorstep. And our publication is committed to protecting you from all that unpalatable bad news that's always happening around the world. Our landscaping company, Holy Ground, will make sure that your front yard is always impeccably manicured. We've added a new feature this year. Around the holidays, special sensors in the streetlights detect non-nativity ornamentation and act quickly to eliminate these unsightly eyesores. Bubble Creek Canyon. If God wasn't omnipresent, he'd probably live here. And some of you maybe have seen that before, but, but we watch the video about Bubble Creek Canyon and we think, well, I, maybe that's what it should be like. Maybe we should move there and it would be safe and, and we would have nothing to worry about and we wouldn't have to deal with people that disagree with us and, and everything would be awesome. And um, especially these days, right, things are a little bit hectic and weird. Um, up is down and left is right and um, what's wrong seems to be what's good and, and what's good seems to be um, pushed aside and the political process really offers no hope at all, it seems like. And so a place like Bubble Creek Canyon really does sound appealing. The problem is it's not real. And even if it were real, you can't go there. Uh, and the reason that you can't go there is because of, of what Blake just shared with us. We are citizens of heaven. Listen, 
This is something that we know, and by way of review, I just want to spend a few minutes living here um, this morning because as we move on from this, it's really going to feed well what we do next, right? But in 2 Corinthians 5, you, you know this text well. We talk about it all the time, right? Um, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, right? That's the good news of reconciliation. That's the gospel, that, that God was in the world, in Christ, reconciling everyone. Reconciling meaning making everyone right with him, right? And, and no longer counting their sins against them. Why? Because their sins were put on Christ. That's the gospel. That's the message of reconciliation. And so church, we, right, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's our job. Bubble Creek Canyon might be nice, might be easy, it might be simple, but you can't live there. You can't live there because you have a job to do as a follower of Christ. If you are here today and you are a legitimate born-again believer in the risen Jesus Christ. You are trusting the Lamb of God to take away your sin, and you have committed your life to growing in him, then guess what? You have work to do. This is what this text tells us. This is what Christ did, what God did through Christ, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us, church, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. When you share the gospel with somebody, you are doing the job that God has given you to do. When Jesus walked around and he shared this message of reconciliation, he said, repent, for the Son of Man has come to take away the sins of the world. Trust me. Leave your old ways behind and follow me. That was the message that Jesus gave. Repent. Turn from your sin. Follow me. Trust me. But guess what? Since his death, his resurrection, and the 40 days between resurrection to Pentecost, Jesus is no longer walking around. He is no longer telling people, repent. Repent because the Son of Man comes to take away the sins of the world. Instead, he is at the right hand of the Father. Now, he will come back, and that's a day we anxiously look forward to. In the meantime, though, the message didn't stop being important. But the job shifted to you and me, because now we speak for Christ because he's not walking around saying, repent, the Son of Man comes to take away the sins of the world. Follow me for salvation. Instead, we speak for Christ when we plead with people to come back to God. When you share the gospel, you are doing the work that you've been given. And the work that we've been given is of critical importance. And so what I need you to understand about that, the fact that we're ambassadors, the fact that we work for God, the fact that Blake read, and we'll get to this later in the message, that, that we are citizens of heaven simply means this. Guys, we don't live here. We work here. We don't live here. We work here. 
right? This place is not our permanent home. It's our mission field. And, and if we can wrap our heads around that, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to radically redefine the way that we view our work, the way we view this place, maybe even the way we view political things, the way we view all of this. This place isn't our permanent home. It is our mission. The freedom and the rights and the security and privilege that we all enjoy here in America, they're awesome. And they're helpful. But they're secondary to the mission. See, when we get involved and we get active politically, right, what we're doing is, is we're supposed to be advocating for rights that make it easier for us to be on mission, not that make it easier for us to be comfortable. Because our comfort is secondary. Because we don't live here. We work here. We have another citizenship, a higher citizenship. And so while our rights are awesome and our freedoms are awesome and our privileges are awesome, listen, there are people that are doing their job as ambassadors of Jesus Christ all over this world without the rights that we have. And listen to me, they are nailing it. In other parts of the world, people that have no religious freedom, people that have no rights granted by the government or by political institutions. They have no political policies in place to grant freedom to them to speak the name of Jesus Christ. All over the world, those people exist, and they are on mission, and they are nailing it. They are seeing people radically transformed by the gospel and come to saving faith in the risen Christ. They are speaking for Christ when they say, come back to God, because there is a God in heaven who is no longer counting your sins against you in Christ Jesus. And they don't have the same rights and privileges that we do. And we have these rights and these privileges, and yet it gets awkward for us to talk to our buddy that lives next door, our family members and our friends. Listen, our rights and our privileges, they are great. But they're not where it's at. We are on mission for something bigger and, and something different. And so we need to understand that. We need to wrap our heads around that. And, and as a church, we need to get... We need to get ourselves right, because when we understand um, that it's secondary, we can start to risk a little bit. See, and here's what churches typically do. Um, churches typically, Christians, and then the churches that, that um, the local churches that, that they comprise, um, tend to fall on one to two ends of a continuum. And we've talked about this before. This isn't news, right? But on, on this end of the continuum, uh, man, I'm going to run into this. Back it up. Um, on this end of the continuum, what happens is we decide that it's easiest and it's best if we just agree with whatever the culture kind of says is true. And that things would be better if we would just agree with what the culture said. Right? That the message is Jesus. The message isn't all this other stuff. So when it comes to all this other stuff, if we just agree, it's better. And so some churches tend to slide to this end of the continuum where we just agree with everything. If the culture says it's right, we say, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because, because we don't want to be hard to get along with. We don't want to be bigots. We don't want to be racist. We don't want to be um, phobic in any way. And so we just say yes to everything. And that's, of course, we know better. We know that's a wrong position. In fact, I'll say this to you now. I want to encourage you to be praying for, um, as a denomination, 
the United Methodist Church. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but currently uh, the United Methodist Church is, is in a church, a denominational split. Uh, I'm not talking about our local churches here in town. I'm talking about denominationally, like worldwide. The United Methodist Church is in a denominational split that's going to be happening over the next months. And what happens is churches are going, individual United Methodist churches are going to have to decide which side of that split they land on. Some of them will be more traditional, which we would advocate for, traditional views of the Bible, sexuality, um, abortion, things like that. The other end will be um, much more liberal. And so I want to encourage you to be praying for, for the United Methodist um, denomination and very specifically for our United Methodist churches in town. We have two, Stuart Memorial and Wesley Methodist. And we care about them, right? And, and so I want to encourage you to be praying for them, praying for their pastors, praying for their congregations, praying for that decision, praying for the Holy Spirit to have his way, um, because in this community we need more Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches, not less. So I want to encourage you to, to be about that. But anyway, we have some churches that fall on this side, and they just let everything go. And then we have some people that assume the other side of the continuum is better, where we just get mad at everything, and we're full of venom and hate. And we get picket signs, and we scream, and we yell, and, and, and we get against all things, and the problem is we know that's not good either. And the reality is that, that the truth is that somewhere in there, grace has to have its way. See, remember we talked about this last week. Jesus comes with truth and grace. Jesus never tolerated sin. He told people the truth. Sometimes it was harsh truth. But he never did it lacking grace. He never did it with hate or venom. And we can't either. See, grace never compromises, but it never condemns, right? Grace always says true things, but grace never hates. And as a church, we have to understand what our role is, right? As individuals, we understand what our role is. We aren't, we aren't to, to capitulate to everything the culture wants, but, but we aren't to get angry and, and venomous and, and hurtful and hateful on this side. Instead, we need to walk this line of grace. And as we do that, we understand that we are speaking for Christ. When we say, come back to God, right? Because our message is bigger than anything else. The message of the gospel is bigger than anything else. Okay, so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Relax. Some of us, we get so uptight and upset politically. We get so worried about what's happening. We get so anxious about who's going to get elected and what policies are going to get put in place and what things are going to happen. And we get so upset and so anxious and so angry and so worked up about all of this that I want to encourage you to stop it because here's the deal. I want you to look different than that. I want you instead, I want you to look like ambassadors that have been sent by a God who's in control of all things to do a job. That's what I want you to look like. I want you to stop it. Political power, people in power will wane. It comes and it goes and it ultimately doesn't matter. What matters is that there is a God that is in control. And Christian, when you get worked up, 
I'm not talking about involved. Be involved, be active. But when you get worked up about political things, when you get on edge about political things, when you overreact to political things, what you're showing a watching world is that you're not sure that you trust that God really is in control of all things. That's a problem because you have one job, and that is to be an ambassador of reconciliation. All right, so um, there's a couple things, though, that I, that I want you to understand about this. If we really do embrace all of that, if we really do embrace this idea that, um, that we can't freak out, okay, then there's a couple things we need to know, right? Um, and, and one of them, and the most critical thing is, um, it is going to end badly for us. I want you to be involved politically. I mean, let's just, let's just lay our cards on the table. I want you to be involved politically. I want you to be active. I want you to try to sway public policy the best you can, right? We, we want to get people elected that will conserve religious freedom whenever possible, right? But we don't get worked up. We don't get worked up because God is in control of all things, and we know that, and we understand that. And you're like, but Matt, it's going to get bad, and, and, and persecution is a real thing, and persecution is going to happen. Listen carefully to me. Yeah, I know. Okay, let's look here. We're going to skip ahead a couple things. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. This is Peter writing to Christians, and these Christians are being persecuted, and Peter is like, um, doy. Like, yeah. Like, why are you confused about this? See, the Christians, they're saying, well, this isn't what we signed up for. This isn't what we thought we were getting. Why is all of this happening? We thought Jesus was supposed to make our lives better. And listen, we've talked about this before, but, but if, if somebody said to you, come to the cross, come to Jesus, because he's going to make your life easier, they were not telling you the truth. They were, they were trying to twist things to get you to become a Christian in hopes that later on you would figure it out and be okay with it. Or maybe they just didn't understand it themselves. But, but listen to me. Being a Christian does not make your life easier. Being a Christian unequivocally will make your life harder. Now listen to me. It'll give it more purpose. It'll give it more meaning. Right? Your life will matter. You will be connected to the God of the universe, right? You will be saved for all eternity. You will be entered into the kingdom of God. I mean, the benefits far outweigh the difficulties. But if somebody told you, become a Christian because that will make your life easy, they were not telling you the truth. We're going to see as we walk through this that that persecution and difficulty and hardship is part and parcel with Christianity, and if you didn't understand that, then you were agreeing to follow something that you, you didn't read the fine print. And they didn't tell you. It's not supposed to be easy. I talk to people, they come in my office, they sit there all the time and they wonder, as a Christian, why isn't my life easier? Isn't my life supposed to make more sense? Yes. Isn't my life supposed to be simpler? No. No. You will not find that in Scripture. And Christians are struggling that when Peter writes this, and he says, friends, man, why are you surprised? Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through like something strange is happening to you. Nothing strange is happening to you. This is what you were told. This is what you should have expected. 
And we see that, right? We see Jesus tells us that. Look, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5. This is at the end of the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes is all about Jesus. And we're actually going to dig into the Beatitudes later in this series. But the Beatitudes is all about Jesus telling us what Christian living should look like what it means to live a Christian life. The Beatitudes, you should know them well because they are markers given to you by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He gives you these markers. Why? So that you can know if you're growing in your Christianity, right? Because these are things that you should be striving for. You should be growing in these as as evidence that you are a growing Christian. The more you become like this, the more you become like Jesus. And so there are things like, like be a lover of peace, right? Beatitudes, be meek, be humble, hunger and thirst for righteousness, be a peacemaker, right? Be poor in spirit. Like all of these things that, that Jesus says, these are markers. And you would think that if we were peacemakers and if we hungered and thirsted for righteousness and that if we were poor in spirit and we were other-focused and all of these things were true about us, that the world would applaud that. I mean, we say that's what we want, right? As a world, we say we want people that are humble. We say we want people that hunger and thirst for righteousness. We say, like, like we, we want people to make peace. We, we want all of these things. But the reality is the more you grow to be like Jesus by pursuing this Christian way of living that we call the Beatitudes. The more that you become like Jesus, the more they will treat you like they treated Jesus. This is what he says. We finally get to the end of this in in, in chapter 5, and he says, God bless those who are persecuted for doing right, because the kingdom of God belongs to them. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Right? Be happy about it. Peter says, why are you acting surprised? Right? Why are you surprised that it's happening? Jesus said, be happy about it. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way that you are, right? And so we get this picture. Jesus paints this picture that, that you know what? When you plug into Christian living, when you really try to grow to be more and more like Jesus, there's two things that are going to happen. One, you are going to be blessed. And two, you are going to be persecuted. Persecution is going to be yours. Listen, here's what I want you to understand about this, something that you need to know. Um, The world will not love you for being a Christian. At best, the world will tolerate you with suspicion. At worst, they'll hate you and be hostile. And we have been able to avoid that to a large degree. And can I tell you why I'm worried In some way, I think we can say that we've been able to avoid that to a large degree because we're blessed to live in a country with freedoms. We have religious freedom that other countries don't have. And so we we have been able to avoid that vitriol and that anger. We've been tolerated more than we've been hated and been openly hostile, had people act openly hostile towards us. But here's the problem. Um, We read, Jesus tells us in, in, in the Gospels that to whom much is given... Much is going to be expected. And so I'm going to ask you this, and and then we'll move on, and and I'll tell you why else this bothers me, but but let me ask you this. What have you done with your freedom? 
What difference has the freedom that you have to be religiously open, right? That's what religious freedom is. Religious freedom gives you the opportunity to be open about your faith. It gives you the opportunity to practice publicly your faith. And when I say practice publicly, I don't mean pray at dinner time. You could pray at dinner time whether we have religious freedom or not. When you gather around your table, you could do that whether we have religious freedom or not. Your religious freedom to practice your religion publicly means that you are about, we talked about this last week, the number one thing. We talked about it at the beginning of this sermon. The number one reason why you exist as a Christian, the job that God has given you is what? To be ambassadors of reconciliation. To speak for Christ when you tell people to come back to God. What are you doing with your freedom? You have freedoms that the rest of the world doesn't have. And and to whom much is given, much is going to be expected. What are you doing with your freedom? You're like, well, Matt, I I don't want to be persecuted. Yeah, I get that, but that's the normal experience for Christians. Peter says, don't be surprised when that happens. I don't want people to think badly of me. I don't want people to speak falsely of me. I don't want people to dislike me. Yeah, I get that. Nobody likes that. Like one person likes that, and they're weird. Nobody even wants to hang out with that person. Of course we don't want that. But it's your job. And to whom much freedom is given, much will be expected. What have you done with your freedom? Who are you sharing the gospel with? And I don't mean slowly. Like I know some of you, and I know because I've been in your shoes, and sometimes when I'm stupid, I'm still there, and, and, and I'm like, but, but Matt, because I talk to myself a lot. I talk to myself all the time. I answer myself too because, I mean, otherwise that'd just be rude. I say, but Matt, you know, getting ready for this sermon, Matt, Matt, who are you sharing your faith with? Who are you openly? Who are you using your freedom to the benefit of the gospel? How are you doing that? Because if much is going to be expected, then, then what's your answer to what did you do with all the freedom and blessings that I gave you? I'm like, oh, well, I had this really, I had a 10-year plan with my neighbors And it started with saying hi to them for the first two years as I walked by. Then in year three, I was going to pick one of the 365 days and invite them over for a barbecue. Then in year four, I was going to mention Jesus in a casual conversation. Year five, I was going to think about inviting them to church. Year six, I was actually going to do it. Right? Like, like I have this, this whole, like, like, we give ourselves a break. We're like, well, we don't want to turn anybody off. You know, we want to do slow, relational evangelism, which is fine. We, we just want to make these connections. And then later when they bring it up, we'll be ready to answer. Listen, listen, I don't want to stand before God. And when he says, what did you do with the freedom I gave you? He said, I gave you much freedom, so much is expected. What did you do with it? I said, well, I was really nice to people in hopes that they would ask me why it was nice so I could tell them it was because of Jesus. Guys, that's ridiculous. What have you done with your freedom? The world won't love you for being a Christian. At best, they'll tolerate you with suspicion. At worst, they'll hate you and be openly hostile. Peter says, don't be surprised when these fiery trials happen. It's not something strange. You know what that means? That means if they're, this is the second thing that worries me. If they're not happening to you, that's strange. Christian, that's weird. If nobody is speaking badly of you because of your faith... If nobody is suspect of you because of your religion and because of the fact that you're trying to share your faith, if, if, if nobody is thinking poorly of you, if nobody is persecuting you because of your Christianity, 
that's strange and it means that probably you're not living it right. And that's a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around, but we have got to get this because we're gonna see all through, uh, we're told that this will happen. Look at John 3.20, right? It should make sense. All who do evil hate the light and they refuse to go near it for fear of their sins will be exposed, right? You as a Christian, you are light. Earlier in Matthew 5, we read that. You're actually later, just right after this text in Matthew 5, we read that. You're salt and you're light. And that's not a light that you hide under a bushel, right? It's, it's, it's not a lamp that you stick in a cupboard. It's a light that's supposed to shine. And then he says in John 3, oh, by the way, people who do evil, people who reject the gospel, they hate you when you're light. Why? Because light exposes what's wrong in their life. It exposes sin. You're like, well, I'm light and nobody dislikes me for it. Means that you're doing something wrong. Right? It means that you're playing it safe. It means that you're confused about what it is that you've been called to do as an ambassador of reconciliation. But the reality is this. You are going to be persecuted. It is just the reality. Right? So get this. No going in. Opposition is the normal experience for Christians. It's the normal experience. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are going to be persecuted. John 3, hey, people will hate light. Your light, people will hate that because it exposes sin and it exposes wrong. And so persecution is the normal experience for the Christian. The problem is, we get so worked up when we think our rights are being stepped on. And again, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I care about our rights. I want you to be actively involved politically. I want you to work hard. I want you to vote. I want you to be wise, and I want you to understand what's happening because we have been blessed with freedom, and we shouldn't squander it. We should use it better, but we shouldn't squander it. But we get so worried about our rights that we forget that the fundamental, normal experience for a Christian is opposition. And, and this is, go back to our continuum, where we either get over here and we yell and scream and we're full of hate, or over here where we just capitulate to everything the world says and we say, oh yeah, that's fine, right? Because we don't want to be opposed to anything. We don't want anybody opposed to us. But listen, fundamental experience for Christians is persecution and opposition. And if somebody didn't teach you that when you decided to follow Jesus, I am sorry. Somebody, a well-meaning person, very easily told you, hey, follow Jesus because he will make your life easier. And if that was what you heard, if you heard it from me, if you, it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It'll make your life better. It'll give it meaning and purpose. Eternal glory with Christ into the kingdom of God, but it won't make it easier. Reminds me when Travis was young and he was deciding that he wanted to buy his own thing. Cause I'm like, you know what? I'm not buying another video game. We're talking back with the Wii, right? I can even tell you the game. I, I think it was like Spider-Man friend or foe. So we got the Wii. Who, who had a Wii, right? Who was really good at Wii golf? That was, that was my game. That was my jam. I was really good at Wii golf. I can't golf at all. But I could one-handed, you know, 
I could golf all day long on the Wii. I even walk. I wouldn't even need a cart, right? That was really good. Anyway, um, there was a game that Travis started playing, and it was called Spider-Man Friend or Foe. And it was a game that was awesome for little kids because here's the deal. You never died, right? If you lost energy, you just rebooted right there where you were, right? And so he could just keep going and fighting bad guys and beating Venom and saving the world as Spider-Man. And it was a great game, and we rented it a couple of times, and he decided he wanted to buy it, so he was saving his own money, and the game was like 40 bucks. And he saved, he did jobs, he saved, he saved, he saved, he finally had $40, and he was so excited. And of course, we knew this would happen, but we're like, it's a good life lesson. So we go to the store, and, and he gets the game, and he takes it up to the counter, and he hands his, I mean, they don't even tell him how much it is, he just puts his money on the counter, because, you know, he's like eight, right? And, and I'm going to tell you this service, because he's not here. If I say this next service, I owe him five bucks, but I'll change the story next time. Um, but, but, but. He gives the money, and what he forgot, or nobody told him about, or whatever, is, is, is the hidden fees. Right? So he had his 40 bucks, and when they wanted like 46 for the game, he was very confused, because it's $40. It says so right on the thing. And so then we had to be like, hey, Trav, let's talk about taxes. These hidden fees that you have to pay when you buy things. Right? And, and he was devastated, and of course, we're like, well, we're leaving without, no, we bought it for him, and... Um, it was a life lesson, whatever. I think he still owes me $6. So actually, <laughs> this is going to work out well um, next service. But, but here's the thing, right? It's this hidden fee that we don't know about. If that's what... Don't... I'm afraid. I'm afraid that we look at persecution as a hidden fee that nobody told us about. But we know it. Listen. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone, this is Paul, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will undoubtedly, no questions asked, suffer persecution. Anyone who wants to buy Spider-Man, friend or foe, will pay taxes. Anybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's just a reality. Jesus says, don't, don't you remember what I told you? He says this in John 15. Don't you remember what I told you? A slave isn't greater than his master, right? A slave isn't greater than the master. They persecuted me, so guess what? They're going to persecute you. And if you listen to me, right, if they listen to me, they'll listen to you. This is Jesus saying, look, don't, don't be surprised by this. Why do you think you're going to get off easier than I did? I said these things, and they killed me for it. They persecuted me for it. Your job is to say these things, and guess what? They're going to treat you just like they did me. You're going to be persecuted for this. Listen, this is the reality of Christianity. And it's hard. We don't like it. But I need you to understand this, right? I, I need you to understand what's at stake, what your job is, and what it will cost you, right? Because too many times I think we don't understand as a church, right? We think here's what we do. Even though we've said it and we've said it and we've said it, we've said it, we think every now and then we'll come to church and every Sunday we'll, we'll come to church, we'll sing our songs, we'll say our prayers, we'll throw some money in the offering plate, we'll do our thing, we'll, we'll be here. Then when that's over, we'll go. We'll go home and we'll get back about our business 
and we'll do our things and that'll be fine. And then what'll happen is next Sunday we'll go back to church and, and we'll get our God on again and that'll be good. We'll be good Christians Sunday morning at church, right? We'll listen to what Pastor Matt says no matter how boring it is. We'll, we'll pretend to listen. We won't even fall asleep. We'll sing the songs. We'll do all of that. It'll be great. And then we'll go back and, and then Monday through Saturday we'll do the rest of our life like normal, no big deal. Sunday maybe we'll come back to church unless we're busy right? Or tired or whatever, but we'll come back, we'll try again. And we do this, and we think this is the normal Christian experience. Somehow we've gotten so confused about the normal Christian experience. We think the normal Christian experience is showing up on Sunday morning and worshiping a little bit, and then just doing the rest of the life the way we want to do it, not worrying about it. And I got to tell you, listen, that's not normal. It might be normal for us, but it's not biblical. It's not normal for real, life-changing, transforming Christianity. It's not what it is, man. Everybody who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Why do you think you're better than Jesus? Right? Nobody would say, I'm better than Jesus. Right? But yet, when Jesus said true things, and he confronted sin, again, never con- confronted sin in grace and truth. When he confronted sin, they persecuted him. Somehow we think we figured out a better way. Because we, don't, we, we can live Christian lives and, and not be persecuted, so we must have figured out a better system than Jesus. It just ain't true. Listen, and here's the problem. The blessings of freedom, they produce this expectation of a comfortable life, and a comfortable life produces a lethargy of Christian spirit. Not laziness. We're not lazy but we're lethargic. As Christians, we're lethargic, right? Because we've become so accustomed to freedom. And freedom makes us comfortable. And so what we've started to do is we've started to treat our comfort, we've started to treat our comfort on par with our mission. And we won't engage in the mission if it threatens our comfort. Listen, that's not Christianity. That's something else. Something else. But this is the problem with our freedom. It's good. I want you to advocate for it. I want to have it, but I want us to have it differently. I want us to do different things with it because our freedom makes us comfortable. Our comfortable makes us lethargic because we won't sacrifice our comfortability for anything else. That's why we get so, I mean, let's be honest. When, when we know somebody who decides to become a full-time missionary, we're excited for them, but what do we really think? Man, they are weird, right? Talking to Matt Klein, When Matt Klein says, man, here's what we're going to do. We're going to move to a country in the Middle East full of Muslims, and we're going to try to teach them about Jesus. And we're going to have babies there, and we're going to raise a family there. And I'm like, oh, Matt, that's great. I act like he's a super Christian. I act like he's like, like he's like super, super Christian. Um, And and he doesn't even need as much support as everybody else because he's just going to fly there with his cape because he's Superman. Why is that abnormal? It's not abnormal. That shouldn't be abnormal. That should be the normal thing, right? But we get so confused about this comfortability that we put comfortable and mission at best on an equal plane. 
And we can't get too far out of whack. And it's a problem. And it's especially weird because we should know, Blake read it, we are citizens of heaven. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I'll say it again with tears in my eyes. When he says, I'll say it with tears in my eyes, he's like, man, I, I don't know what else to do to get this through to you. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I will scream it. I will bawl my eyes out while I try to get you to understand. There are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. And they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. Paul says, listen, there are people, and he's talking about people in the church. I mean, let's be clear about what Paul's talking about. He's talking not about people outside. He's talking about people inside the church. And what he's saying is, I have warned you. I have told you. Some of you are kidding yourselves. There are people who are living as enemies to the cross because what they're so concerned with is this temporary, comfortable life. Their God is their desire for pleasure and goodness and ease here in this life. They think only about this life and things here on earth. But Paul says, but listen, real Christian, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and he will change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power which he will bring everything under his control. This is Paul saying, look, but, but, but don't live as enemies to the cross. Don't live in, um, all in for a temporary life. Don't live wanting pleasure and things here and comfort over and above the mission that God has given you. Because here's the deal. Don't you remember you are citizens of heaven? And in citizens of heaven, you have a job to do. And will it be hard? Yes. That's why you're eagerly awaiting a savior who will come back and make all things new. You and everything, he will make all things new. So it's okay. Risk. Put it on the line. Let your comfort be secondary. Listen, you don't have religious freedom. God has not blessed us with religious freedom so that you can be comfortable. If there's nothing else that I want you to, to grab a hold of here this morning as we start talking about this politically and understanding, God has not given us religious freedom so that you can be comfortable. God has given you religious freedom so that you can be uncomfortable, safely, but uncomfortable nonetheless. God has given you religious freedom so that you can openly be about your faith. And your faith is demonstrating as an ambassador of God, speaking for Christ, telling people, come back. Come back. This is the reality. Don't be confused about your freedoms. I, your freedom should not make your life more comfortable. Your freedom should embolden you. They're a blessing from God. And, and where God gives much blessing, much will be asked and returned. And listen... That's praise team to come up, and, and they're going to sing us a song, and it's, it's going to be another version of, of this song about what happens when we all get to heaven. I want to tell you this. One of the reasons that you can pour it all out now, one of the reasons you can pour it all out now is because there is a celebration that will come 
we are eagerly awaiting a Savior. We're eagerly awaiting a Savior who will make all things new. And when we all get to heaven, there will be celebration and peace and ease. But this isn't that time. This isn't that time. Now we're on mission. It's like the week before I go on any vacation. You know know what's really hard to take is a vacation. And the reason for that is because you have to do all of this work to get ready for your vacation, right? Your work still has to get done. You just have to do twice as much the week before and twice as much the week after. And I know you're thinking, Matt, that math doesn't hold up. It doesn't matter. You know I'm right, right? You have to do so much more work before you leave and you have to do so much more work when you get back. But but here's the thing, right? You can't start acting like you're on vacation the week before you leave. This is a terrible analogy. It falls apart. I won't use it second service. Should have thought this through. But I'm committed. I'm committed. This is what we're doing, right? So you can't start acting like you're going on vacation a week early, right? You have to keep working, and you have to get to the point where you get that sweet relief. Maybe it's not so bad. We'll evaluate between services. But but here's the thing. Here's the deal. What happens is you work hard. We don't get lethargic, right? We understand that we are here to work as ambassadors of God, and we can enjoy this life, and we can enjoy our freedoms, and we can enjoy these things, but, but we work because first and foremost, we are citizens of heaven, not of this place. And there will be a time when we all get to heaven where, where then all of that will come to fruition in us. But now we work. You should pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, um, thanks for saving that. Um, we just love you, right? And, and we want to take this seriously. My fear, my fear always, what keeps me up at night sometimes, what wakes me up at night, uh, where Satan pokes, is this fear that, that we sometimes are a church filled with, with people that disappoint you. Not that we don't have grace and not that we don't experience this freedom in Christ and, and not that we need to earn anything, but, but God, you've given us a mission and, and we take it too lightly. So I just pray that you'll help us understand that, that hardship is sometimes the name of the game and that opposition and difficulty is just part of the Christian life. It's the normal experience. Why should we act like something strange is happening to us? It's normal. And God, we should embrace it because we aren't better than Jesus. We're his followers. God, we just, I just pray that you'll help us understand that and that as we live that life, that life sold out to you and committed to you, that we will truly then be looking forward to celebrating this time when we all get to heaven, because what a day of rejoicing that will be. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.